Good morning. We please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. But Drew, I thought you said it was the uh, sermon series was called Philippians. You are correct. It is called Philippians. But we're going to actually start our, our journey of this book in Acts chapter 16. So as you're turning there, I just want to tell you that for me as a kid, Saturday meant one thing. Cartoons. Right? So you have, uh, and it will be hours and hours of cartoons, but my absolute favorite. Now back in that day... There were three channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS. You had three channels, not like 500 channels. But you had three channels, and on one of those channels was my absolute favorite. It was the strategic genius of Wile E. Coyote. I don't know if you're familiar with Wile E. Coyote, but uh, he is uh, uh, a strategic genius, and he would flip through his Acme catalog, and he would look at you know, rocket-powered roller skates, and he would look at uh, TNT, and he would look at all these different things, and he would come up with a strategy to finally catch the Roadrunner. And so, he would, he would do all these things, and every time, he would fail, right? And so, you kinda, you're always kind of rooting for the Coyote to catch the Roadrunner. You don't want the Roadrunner to get hurt, but you just want him to catch him right so and so he goes through all these different strategies and all these different maneuvers and he would paint take paint and paint this big you know train tunnel on the side of a flat rock and all of these things he do, he's just genius absolute genius but he never could catch the roadrunner you say well drew what does this have to do with with acts well i believe that as the church we do a lot of we do a lot of that too like we we we, we know our mission our goal is to try to reach the lost in the community to try to reach people out there to minister to them to share the gospel with them and so we try to we go to the catalog and we start flipping through which we call it the lifeway catalog because we're southern baptist that was a joke there, but that's okay. All right, that's all right. So we flip through it. We try to find that strategy. We try to find that, that new thing that maybe this is what will work. And every time it just doesn't quite work as the way we think it would work. So what, what I'd like for us to do as we go through today's passage in Acts chapter 16, I want you to think about what does the church do? What would it take? What, is, what does the church need to be like to actually engage the community in such a way to where we could share the gospel with them so that it's meaningful and it's not like uh, cliche or tacky or weird or awkward. You know, like we kind of, we go through kind of all of those things that we say, how can we reach the, you know, we're going to have this big event or we're going we're gonna to do this. And that's the magic bullet. That's the, the thing that's going to work. Well, we're going to look at in Acts chapter 16, what is it that Paul did? You know, what is it that the early church did to share the gospel, to reach out to their community. So before we jump into it, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that we could take it and apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that you will help us to understand Acts chapter 16 as we look at the founding of this Philippian church. Lord, I pray that you will help us, show us how that church grew, how that church made disciples. Help us to take those things and apply them to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you should hopefully be at Acts chapter 16, uh, and uh, today we're going to look at two different kind of big categories. The first that we're going to look at is four principles that led to a growing church. So we're going to look at these four principles uh, that led to this early founding of the church. The first, let's look at it, verse 1. Paul also came to Derby and Lystra. And so Paul is a missionary, he's called to God, he's an apostle, and he's going from place to place, and he's sharing the gospel, and he's establishing churches. That's the goal, is that he is going around to different places. So he has come to Derby and Leicester, and a disciple was there named Timothy, 
the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on from there through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So let's go back to the verse 1 where it says, Paul also came to Derbe and Lystra. Paul had already been to these these cities two to three years before. So he had gone through, he had preached the gospel, and then he is now doubling back. He's going back through to strengthen and help proclaim the gospel even further. He's been healing the sick, he did all these different things. But also, if you go back just a chapter or two, we see that at Lystra, Paul was stoned and he was left for dead. And so Paul is returning back to a city which had stoned him. And so one of the principles I want you to kind of think about is that when we talk about engaging the culture and we talk about winning the lost, is that there's a cost there. And so Paul here has already been stoned and left for dead, and now he's returning and he's going back. And so Paul Paul normally does not travel alone. Usually it's a team that goes from place to place. He and Barnabas were on that first trip. Now in the meantime, between then and where we see it here, he and Barnabas had a, uh, a young man that would help them named John Mark. And John Mark uh, was a man who, who loved the Lord. He followed along with them. He was a part of the ministry. And what we're going to see is that Paul kind of had his job that he did. Uh, there were other jobs that were done so that if John Mark were to just leave, which is what happened, is that he got, he got, he got, he got scared or he got frustrated or he got whatever reason, he's like, guys, I'm out, I'm done. And he left. And so then... Paul and Barnabas have this discussion, and uh, John Mark eventually says, you're sorry, I'd like to come back, I want to kind of join the team again, and Paul goes, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, when you left us, that really hurt us that last time, like you really damaged what we're doing, you hurt the ministry, I'm not going to allow you to do that again. Barnabas goes, well, hey, listen, we preach grace and mercy, how are we not going to show John Mark grace and mercy? Let him come back, Paul says, no, Barnabas says, let him come back. The the discussion got so heated, they parted ways. And so Paul took Silas, and he went one direction. Barnabas took John Mark, and they went in another direction. And so what we see here is that now Silas and Paul are going from town to town, and they're preaching, and they discover, they find this young man, and Paul's like, "This, this, this kid's a great kid. He could actually do what John Mark did before. He said, I'd like for him to come join our join what we're doing here and so that's what's kind of going back so here's your first principle that I want us to to understand is that as we seek to do ministry so I'm assuming right that we all understand that we need to be a part of serving in some way that we need to be in ministry doing something assuming that we should not do that alone all right so it's uh, in every time that we see Paul and we see the ministry and we see the New Testament we see that people did ministry in teams they did things in groups they didn't go off by themselves so don't do ministry alone also find someone to invest in and here's a way to think about your life all right as you get older you have learned things you have experience you have these different things that you could teach someone else and so Paul is the type of person that would 
look back and pass on to a Timothy. So he's looking to bring on a protege. He's bringing someone on to, that he can train and teach. But then also you ha also have a, you should have a mentor in your life. All right? so, if, uh, it, so you've kind of got three relationships going on in this that we're going to look at. You're going to look at uh, people that serve as a mentor for you where you can kind of go, hey, I'm doing this ministry. I know you've kind of done this before. You've been doing this for years. I've gotten stuck here. Can you help me in this? Let me tell you what I'm going through. And they're going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went through this 20 years ago. And here's kind of what you do. And here's some advice. Right? So you've got the mentor personality. You also have relationships in your ministry and life that are, that are you're doing the same thing. You're all on the same level. This is the Paul and the Barnabas or the, the Paul and the Silas relationship. Right? You're serving with other people, and then the other relationship is the Paul and Timothy relationship. You're investing in, you're helping bring someone else along. So be thinking about that in your life. Who is the person that I could go to for the mentor? Who is the person that I could go to that I can invest in? So, but you've got Paul, and they're, they're not doing ministry alone. That's the first thing. All right, then, also, we see that it's, it's, it's more than likely Timothy's father was not a believer. Right? He's, he's, just, he's described as being Greek. His mother is described as being a believer, so it's kind of clear here that it's not a believer, whether it's Christian or Jewish. And it's likely that Timothy and his mother were converted on Paul's first missionary journey. So this really, it's a really good chance that as he went through, he had, Timothy had heard the gospel, he had prayed to receive Christ, his mother and grandmother had done that as well on that first missionary journey. And so look at second. So then Paul in other books writes Timothy. He says this in Second Timothy one fifteen. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And then also in Second Timothy three fifteen, he mentions his faith. He says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So we see with Timothy, he's a kid whose mom and grandmom invested in him and taught him the Bible. They taught him the Old Testament. And then when they prayed to receive Christ, they all were on this journey together. So that by the time Paul arrives again, Timothy is mature enough of a believer that, he, that they're saying, Hey, look, this kid's got a great reputation. Come on and come be a part of what we're doing. We need you to be a part of this ministry. It says in verse 3 that Timothy was well spoken of, meaning he had a reputation amongst the people of the city. He was known. His father was known, and his mother and grandmother were known. They had a reputation. So as Paul and Timothy had, are gonna, would travel from city to city, this reputation would follow with them. And so Timothy had a reputation, had a good reputation of being a, a solid guy, a, a, you know, all these different things. But his dad was a Greek. And his mom was Jewish, and, the, and they were, would have asked him, because if, if you were in that culture, if your mom was Jewish, then you were automatically considered to be Jewish. And they said, well, why weren't you circumcised? Why, why were you not following the law? Timothy was both a Jew and a Greek and would continually give offense every time he would go into a Jewish uh, area. So here's was Paul's strategy, right? So we talk about missions, you talk about what's the strategy for the missions. Well, Paul's strategy and his group, they would go into a town and they would first go to the Jewish synagogue. So wherever that was in whatever city, they would go to where the Jewish people were. And they would go back through the Old Testament and they would say, here's how Jesus fulfilled prophecy and here's who Jesus was and here's what it means, you know, this is what he did. And, and they would share the gospel that way. And so 
uh, and part of that strategy was if they were to go and Timothy were to go with them into these synagogues, his reputation would follow him, he was not circumcised. And that was going to be an issue every city they went to. So here's, here's kind of something I want you to think about, is that you have freedom in Christ to do a lot of stuff. Right? As a follower of Jesus, as a follower of God, you have a lot of freedom to do a lot of different things. However, if those things that you do keep someone from hearing about Jesus, you have created an obstacle there to the gospel. All right? And so for Timothy to not be circumcised was a part of his life that every time they would have gone to a town, it would have come up. All right? And so that whenever they go to try to preach the gospel, this is going to become the issue. It's a minor thing compared to something far more important. All right, so let me just give you an example. Let's just give you an example. So let's say, because uh, in November, it's no shave November for me, and I always grow a beard. All right, just, just so you know. Some of you guys are new. You may not know that about me. I just grow the beard. Let's say I had a beard. And I went into a culture that everyone thought that people that had beards were evil or whatever. Right? It's not true. Like, that's obviously not true. But let's just say that was the culture. All right? And so every time I would go into that area to try to talk about Jesus, that all point to the beard. What could I do to make it easier to share the gospel? Shave the beard. Right? Not a big deal. You just shave the beard. But I like my beard. I have the right to have a beard. That's my personal right. I should be able to do what I want to do. You see the difference here? All right, I'm going to not have a beard so that I could share the gospel with these people. That's kind of what's going on here. Just, do, just, share, just shake the beard. Not, you know, let's, let's roll on. That's a minor thing compared to someone's eternity. So there's certain things in our life that we could just do. You have the freedom to do that. Yes, you can. But if that becomes a thing, that keeps someone from hearing the gospel. Like you can't just start talking about Jesus and kind of what he means to you and what he's done in your life and these people keep bringing up this thing and it's something that you could easily just not do or get rid of, then just, just don't do it. Just get rid of it. And so that's what's going on here with Timothy. So Paul and, Paul and, Paul and Timothy and Silas, they're going around and they're trying to preach the gospel. They're going to these Jewish towns. Always going to come up. So here's our number two. Number two. Having a good reputation incredibly important right uh, if you if you are hypocritical or people you don't have a good reputation that um, automatically is going to stop people from listening to you as you try to minister to them get rid of unnecessary obstacles if you do that you have a good reputation you focus on your get rid of those obstacles it opens the door to conversations about the gospel and then I've got prioritize life Right? There are certain things in your life that need to be prioritized. This is important. This really isn't that important. Right? The Holy Spirit, your relationship with the Lord, Scripture, all those things will help you determine this is really important, this is really not that important. Let that go. Just let it go. Like, who cares? Just let it go. This is what, you've got to prioritize things. Earlier in Acts chapter 15, Paul and the other church leaders we're discussing doctrine, right? So you have 
have, this is a new church, uh, Paul's new, uh, you know, he's an apostle, but they're still trying to figure out what we would consider basic foundation, foundational doctrine. They hadn't figured it all out yet. The early church is still trying to work through these things. Like, for example, do you have to follow the law to be saved? Do you have to be circumcised to be saved? Right? Do you have to follow that? They're, so they're having these discussions. And the early, some of the leaders were saying, unless, this is in Acts 15, verse 1, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So you have this Jerusalem conference, and they're working through these, these doctrinal issues and so when Paul comes back two years later and he's going back through and he's going through these small towns and these people that he's shared the gospel with before, he's telling them about these decisions, these apostolic authoritative decisions that have been made. And when he does that, so that by uh, chapter 16 verse 4 it says, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. They're telling them about these doctrinal decisions. The church was just beginning to work through these things, so Paul and Timothy went from town to town, instructed them, these new believers, on these decisions. And the result of sound doctrine is that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Now remember, we're going back to how do we reach the community? How do we, how do we share the gospel? How do we do these things? Number three is very important. Solid doctrine is essential to a strong, growing church. Sound doctrine, like, Drew, that's so boring. Can't we just talk about, like, three steps to a better marriage? Or what? Sometimes, yes, but we have to start with essential doctrinal, foundational things. These things are what everything else is built upon. And so when you lose that foundation of doctrine, everything crumbles and falls apart. Can we have a huge crowd? Like, all we have to do is say, if you come, we'll give you $100. Like, just get that out there in the community. You come, we'll give you $100. Place will be packed out. And at the door, we just hand everybody $100, right? Yes, we could get people in the room, right? But that's not reaching people with the gospel, right? You're appealing to the wrong part of what you're trying to try to do. So the goal is, is so, so, so sound doctrine. So there's going to be some things that we say that are going to be offensive to people because of the sin that's in their heart. We all have that part of us where we go like, whoa, that's a little too close to, to where I am. But it's essential. First Timothy 4, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. You've got to watch your heart. You've got to watch what you believe and what you hold to and what you teach because there's always a tendency to drift. Right? It's hard to keep pulling it back. It's easy to drift. It's easy to tell people what they want to hear. It's easy to just say whatever the culture is saying. Just repeat everything that you hear around you. It's easy for it to drift. Keep a close watch. Pers persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So then we go on to verse 6. And they went through the region of, of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. And when they had come by Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia by the Spirit of Jesus, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There's a change there in the us. So circle the us in your, in your Bible. Us to preach the gospel to them. So then in verse 6 we see that they were for, had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. And so again, they had this strategy. We're going to go, uh, Paul and, and, and this group, they would have sat down and they would have said, here's the plan, all right? We're going to go here, we're going to go here, we're going to go here. Our strategy was we'll go into the synagogue and we'll, we'll speak to those people and we'll go here, we're here. That's the plan. That's how we will reach people with the gospel. And they started to implement that strategy and that plan and the Holy Spirit goes, uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't want you to do that. I don't, I don't want you to do that this time. And so, uh, they began to, to, it says, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. So they passed through, but they did not preach the gospel there. And so immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia. And so once Paul and Timothy had a clear direction from the Lord, they didn't delay, they went forward, and immediately they started in that direction. And it is also at this point that the pronouns begin to change in the text, right? So you have the author, who is Luke. So Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. And he also wrote the book of Acts. So it's kind of like part one and part two. All right, and so when you get to this point in the story, Luke says us and Luke says we, which means that this is the point where Luke became a believer in Jesus, in Philippi, right? We're going to get to that in just a second, but this is the area. So Luke was a doctor. He was in the area. A lot of people say maybe Paul got sick because that was very possible. For whatever reason, Luke hooks up to this missionary team here at this point. This is a good chance that this is where he became a follower. Or it could have been he became a follower at the first journey, and now this is where he picks up. So who knows? All of, these, all of the things that came before chapter 16 were Luke going and gathering witnesses and giving accounts of someone else's words. Here he says, us and we. It's a personal uh, experience that he had. Then verse 10, concluding that God had called us. And so the word... For concluding here means to make, to make to come together, to knit together, to make this and that agree. It's kind of what this means to conclude. We do this too, right? We have life situations that we have to figure out. As a church, we're like, what should be our next step? What, what should be the ministry that we do? What should we do? So we take God's word and we take the culture and the environment and the things, the, the problem or whatever it is that's before us, and we try to put those two things together, to take this and that and put it together. We conclude, right? We've prayed, we've, we've, uh, we've gotten together, we've looked at this, we've put a strategy together, and so we've concluded that this should be our next step. And wisdom uh, and experience helps us in these areas, but at the end of the day, sometimes we get it wrong, right? We looked at the situation, we looked at God's Word, we put it together, we concluded that this was the direction that we should go in, but then the Holy Spirit says, nope, that's not right. I want you to actually go in this direction. So this is what Paul's, this is what's going on. We, we got this vision. We, uh, we were going in this direction. We were trying to do this. Then we got this vision, this Macedonian man saying, come, please help us. And we concluded, we put the pieces together that we should go there. And they did. They did, a beat, they did immediately. And so here's another thing I want you to, to get, is that when Paul took God's word, he had this vision, he had this life experience, he had this strategy, and he concluded that we should go. It was at this point that the gospel began to spread throughout Europe and Asia. 
Right? This is where it starts, right here in Philippi. This, 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 this little thing, this, this just small group of guys, four, four men as far as we know, are making their way, they're sharing the gospel, and now the gospel is going to go throughout all of Europe. That's a huge thing. Christian response, when you respond to what God is calling upon your life, you say, the call of God is upon me, I believe that God is directing me to do this, that is no small, trivial thing. God uses uh, that calling, that purpose, that thing upon you, and, and he uses it to share the gospel. When you say, Lord, I want to join into this, to this thing of sharing the gospel with my community and the world around me, that is no small, trivial thing. Because Paul here, as we know, is an apostle, but it's, it's the same principle that we can pull from today. And so, number four, life-changing ministry must be spirit-led. Right? It, it, it's yet, yes, we have God's word, and we can look at it, and yes, we have the circumstances and things around us and problems that present themselves, but at the end of the day, we conclude, we put those things together, and the Spirit will lead us in the direction that we need to go. So, Spirit-led. All right, so we take these four principles, doing ministry in teams, we remove obstacles and prioritize, we watch our doctrine and we are led by the Spirit, leads to a new church in Philippi. So these, these people have got together, they're doing ministry, and now this new church is going to emerge. And so let's look at the characteristics of the church, of this new church plant. And what I would like for you to do as you are kind of going through this journey with me, I'd like for you to ask yourself, right, is this true? of Bellevue Baptist Church these these things that we're going to look at and if they're not why not and if they are how do we double down and strengthen those things right so I want you to I want you to prayerfully consider as we go through we're gonna look at two principles today we're gonna look at two principles next week alright so the first characteristics of a new church look at verse 11 so settling so setting sail from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and the Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside to the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized and her whole household as well she urged us saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord come to my house and stay and she prevailed against us prevailed with us so as far as we could tell there were some Jewish women who had gathered together to pray rule of thumb is that a synagogue has to be made up of ten men, ten believing men who put their faith in God, who were following the law. So the fact that there was no synagogue tells us that there weren't ten men in the city. And then so Paul, Paul says, you know, again, back to their strategy, we'll go into a town, we'll go into the synagogue, and we'll share the gospel. So they had gone around, and it said they had been there some days. They've gone and they've looked, and they've looked, and they've looked. There's no synagogue. There's no Jewish believers there. And so, well, maybe they would have gathered by the river because that's where they would do their ceremonial washing. So maybe if they not have a building or a structure or somewhere they're meeting, maybe they'll be by the river. So they made their way to the river, and what they discover is a group of women who were praying. Uh, now, 
I believe that if I, were, uh, if I had come up with this master strategy and this plan and that when I concluded that this was the direction that we would go and we began to go into the town and that strategy and plan begins to fall apart, I would get frustrated, right? I, that they were, if it were me, right? I would say, God, I thought you showed us this. I thought this was the plan. And now we get here and there's, no, there's nobody here. To, like the strategy that we had is not working. And I, What is up? Why, why are you? Like I would get frustrated with that. These women were gathering to pray. Look at uh, Zechariah chapter 4.10. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Jerubbabel's hand. Do not get frustrated when the, when the beginnings are small. Right, so Paul could have gone into this town, he could have got frustrated, he could have just left. He's like, you know what, there's, no, there's nothing going on here. But there were some powerful things going on there. Because you had this group of women who had gathered together to pray. It would have been less than ten. It would have just been a handful of women that would have gathered to pray. Instead of get frustrated, look what, look what they did. Verse, verse 13, we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. It was the custom of the Jewish teachers and the, to, to, to sit down and to teach. They would get a scroll and they'd roll it out. They'd sit down and they would teach. So they sat down. And the, and the verbiage here tells us that all four of them spoke in turn. Paul spoke. Silas spoke. Timothy spoke. And Luke spoke. All four spoke. Right? And they responded to that. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So salvation has two parts. One, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord moved in her heart. And she, be, she was open. And then two, the, girl, the woman paid attention to the gospel. You've got to pay attention. And so when a person is, is, uh, is a, for whatever reason, no matter where you are and you're lost, you don't know the Lord, the Lord will open up a person's heart. But at the same time, there's a part two. The part two is God's opened up their heart to receive the gospel. That person has to be paying attention to what the gospel actually says, realize that they are lost, that they are a sinner, and respond. There's an opening and a response. And so you have the, Lydia's heart was open to the gospel. She began to understand, and she put her faith in Jesus. So the first thing that we see is that people are saved. Very important. This early church begin to see the, the, this founding of a church, salvations were present. Secondly, we see is that darkness is broken. Look in verse 16. And as they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. And I believe I'm just just an aside, this is just a Pastor Drew-ism. I believe she was very sarcastic in the way that she said it, right? She followed them around and just yelled it out. Behind, you know, they're walking around, just yelled it out. And this kept going on for many days. So Paul, having become greatly annoyed, which is a very scriptural way of saying he was greatly annoyed, <laughs> he was annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate 
uh, just as an aside also, when they call them Jews, that they're, they're pulling on racial, racist strings there, right? These guys are Jewish, and they're causing trouble. And they're, they're, they're hitting some, some high points there to, to rile up the crowd. And so the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So let's go back to verse 16. As Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke were uh, going to the place of prayer, they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. The spirit of divination mentioned here is where we get the word ventriloquist from. Right? So it's this idea of her being a literal puppet of a demon. Right? And so whenever she would speak, it would be whatever that demon wanted her to say. That's kind of what, what's going on here. So the demonic spirit would speak through the girl who is just as much under control as the demoniac that we see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. Had, she had no control over herself, what she was doing. And the, and the darkness has complete control. The demon has complete control and... There's also this company, and I use business company in that, in that way, is that there were these group of guys, this group of men who had a business, and their business was to take this girl and take her from place to place and make money off of her being demon-possessed through fortune-telling. And so uh, you have this idea of, of this business group who now have now lost their way of making money through this girl. And Paul said to the spirit, he does not say it to the girl, he says it to the spirit because the girl had no control over what is happening. And also I want you to notice that the demon says through the girl, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Is what the demon said true? It is true, absolutely. These are men. They are the servants of the one high God. They are showing the way of salvation. And speaking the truth, there's a recognition that of who they are and what they're doing. It's similar to what uh, was going on with Jesus when he would show up and a demon would be there. They would proclaim that he's son of the most high, like in Luke 8, 28. What have you to do with me, son of the most high? I beg you, don't torment me. Every, a lot, every time you see Jesus appear and there's a demon there, they would most of the time recognize who he was. Son of the most high, son of God, uh, those kinds of things. Why does Paul not permit the demon to continue yelling that they are servants of the Most High God. He's telling the truth. Why not just allow them to continue to tell the truth? Why cast out the demon? Do you allow the testimony of evil men because the testimony in itself is true? This is why character is so important. Right? You could have people of, of horrible character tell the truth. They could speak the truth. You could just tell the truth. There's a quote here that I wanted to read you from one of the commentators that I read that I, I thought was really good. It says, The hour of gravest peril for the gospel in Philippi was not the hour that Paul was put into prison. It was the hour when the girl with the spirit of definition told the truth. That's when the gospel is at its greatest danger. Why is that? Evil can tell the truth, but it can just as easily tell a lie. It could take the gospel and twist it just enough 
to where it's no longer a saving gospel. It's not the true gospel. It's a twisted version of the gospel, which takes us back to why we have to guard the truth, why doctrine is so important. Every time a demon is confirmed that Christ was the Son of God, Jesus rebuked it. Right? Every time, every time you have this, he's like, quiet, be quiet, and he casts out the demon. Every time. Now, the girl returns to being a, a normal girl. And I use normal girl in quotes, right? She returns to being a normal girl. From this demonic possession, it enrages the slave-owning businessmen. The church should not be surprised when we go out and share the gospel and that darkness is broken and those that profit from the darkness become enraged and angry. Right? Nor should we shy away from the consequences of sharing the truth. This is the truth of the gospel. This is who Jesus Christ is. That darkness will be broken and those affected who made money from it or profited from it or in some way did got some benefit from it are going to be enraged. How dare you go out and share this truth out into the community? How dare you? Nor, yeah, so the consequences also was that Paul and Silas, it cost them, right? They were lied about, they were beaten, they were imprisoned. Earlier on, we saw that Paul was stoned. Timothy had to get uh, circumcised. It was a very painful process. All these things affected them. Very, uh, it was hard. If you're going to share the gospel, that's what we should anticipate. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the, what's part of the whole being a disciple of Christ. So these two characteristics, the gospel being shared, the people coming to know the Lord, and two, darkness being broken, are two of the four characteristics that we're going to look at. Next week we're going to look at the other two. But I want to ask you this question when it's time to wrap up. Does Wile E. Coyote ever catch the roadrunner? He does. He does. He does. Uh, there's this, I'll, I'll describe it to you. There's an episode where Coyote is chasing the roadrunner, and of course Coyote has created this series of pipes that are big and they kind of work down to being small and so when they run through it when they come in on the other side it's really bitty right they're really tiny and then he stops the road runner and he goes go back through so they go back through go back through the pipes and they get big so road runner comes out normal size coyote comes out little size and he grabs his foot and he holds up a sign can we hold up the he goes okay wise guys you always wanted me to catch him now what do I do he's finally caught him but he doesn't know what to do, right? Our goal is to reach the community with the gospel. If we do these principles, we follow and do what the New Testament does, we will begin to build relationships with people and they will become, they will, they'll, they'll begin to come. They'll become part of our lives. They'll become part of what we're doing. We have to know what to do with them, right? We're like, I don't, what do I, 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 we've been pursuing this, we've been doing this, we've been trying to do, we've been strategizing about this, we've been praying for this, and now they're here, now what? What do I do with their here? All right, so look at 1 Peter 3, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Again, reference to character. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So be prepared. Be prepared. 
right? You've been praying for your neighbor. You've been trying to reach out to them. You've been trying to minister to them. And then finally, whoop, they, they ask the question that you've been praying and hoping that they would ask. Now you're into the conversation. Oh, we're actually talking about Jesus now. That's right. We're actually talking about salvation. I've been, oh my goodness. No. And be prepared, right? Be, be ready to give the answer for the hope that you have. Right? we've been serving uh, the community through these Lawson football teams. You're going to bump into somebody. Oh, you're the church that feeds the Lawson football team. Oh, that's so great. Why do y'all do that? Why, why do we do that? Are you ready to give an answer to that question? We do that because we love our community. That's why we do that. We, we, we love our community. We want to serve our community. Uh, it's important to, to do that. But that may lead to another conversation. Oh, you love the community. Well, you know, why, 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 why do y'all do that? Because Jesus has changed my life forever, and we believe that he could change other people's life as well, and that's what we're trying to just tell people about Jesus. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Be praying about it, but eventually it's going to open up. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, the, the, your word. Lord, I pray the, that we'll be able to take these principles, Lord, that we'll think about our character, that we'll think about things that we might need to just give up. They're a part of keeping us away from sharing the gospel with other people. Lord, I pray that you will help us to just go through all these things that we've kind of learned today through this scripture. And Lord, that you will open up the door for us this week to be able to tell someone our story about how you've changed our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would just move mightily. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.